You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today again is Monday, it's 7 p.m. So you know it is time for the Manifesting God podcast. And I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth Kenyon. I thank you so much for joining me. I do not take your time, your, 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 your listening ear, your learning ear. I don't take it for granted. Truly, God has something to say to you on this evening. If you're under the sound of my voice, God has something that he's saying specifically to you. Let's go to 2 Samuel, the seventh chapter. 2 Samuel, the seventh chapter chapter. And I'm reading today from the English Standard Version where it says in verse one, after the king, and remember we're referring here to David, we're referring to David, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him, the Lord gave him rest from all his enemies around him. I want to pause right there. See, because David was in a place of being settled. He was in a place of rest. David's name, it means beloved. And I want you to keep that in front of you. David's name it means beloved. And God himself, the Lord himself, had given David rest from all of his enemies that were round about him. And we're going to find out as we go on to read that while David was in this place of rest, what David decides to do, it made me question. And I wanted to know, was David truly in the place? Had he received the rest that God gave him or had David instead become restless? restless in the place where God had placed them because this was a man of war. This was a man who fought battles. This was a man in chapter 17, 17, remember he started out with Goliath. He came right out the park fighting. He came right out fighting Goliath. And then in chapter 18, he killed by chapter 18, he had killed so many that Saul had made him, had given him a high ranking position in the army. He had given him, he had given him because he had his, 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 uh, his experience, what he had displayed said that this man can handle the job. This man of war can handle the job. See, when he came into the point where he was fighting Goliath, he was literally just beginning to come into his own. And he destroyed Goliath with the name of the Lord. By the time we get to chapter 18, he's now got a high ranking position in Saul's army, right? So I want to I wanna make sure I point that out to you all because we're talking about David, whose name means beloved, whom God had given rest to. This man of war, this mighty man of valor, God had given him rest. But see, there came a point in time once he had gotten to that high position in Saul's army, there came a point in time where all of a sudden he became Saul's enemy. In verse nine, he became Saul's enemy. And it says there, but an evil spirit from the Lord, it came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the leery, the same leery that once soothed him, now annoyed him. It now annoyed him. And verse 10 says, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good on his escape. See, David being this man whose name means, his name means beloved, being this man who had this high ranking in, Paul, in Saul's in Saul's 
army now had become Saul's enemy. So keep in mind now, he had the high ranking in Saul's army. So he had a point of reference. He had a place to go for, for instruction. He had, if you will call it a covering. He had a, a overseer. He had someone that was instructing him. But when Saul, when he became Saul's enemy, simply because he had the favor of God, when he became Saul's enemy, the strategy had to change. The strategy had to change. It had to change his course. It had to change how he did things. It had to change. Why? Because what was not, what was over him to protect him, the protection was now removed. The hedge was now removed and Saul considered David an enemy. Even though David did not consider Saul an enemy, Saul considered David an enemy, which put David in a place of running for his life. His strategy had to change. There was no longer a king to instruct him. So now, we see where the text starts to switch and David, he must inquire of the Lord God directly. He must talk to him directly. His strategy had to change. His strategy had to change and he must talk to God directly. Remember now, we're still talking about the David that the Lord had given rest. The Lord had given his beloved rest. He gave him peace. He had silenced his enemies all around him. But now he's in a place. We're going back. He's in a place. I'm taking you back in David's life where we're talking about a boy who fought Goliath to growing into a man that had killed upon thousands upon thousands till he earned a high ranking place in Saul's army. But now he was the outcast. I'm taking you back. I started you where David is the king. Now I'm taking you back into his life life into that place where he started out fighting Goliath and then he rose to the ranks as he grew and Saul's army. He had a king. He had someone to give him instructions, but he lost that. We're talking about who he was. He lost that. He did not have that any longer. So his strategy had to change because now he was a man on the run. So he only could inquire of the Lord God himself. There was the only person that he could have that confidence in. And we see in 1 Samuel 23, when David was told, look, the Philistines, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors. In verse two, it says he had inquired, he had to inquire of the Lord and the Lord, and he asked the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now, remember when he was a part of Saul's army, when he had the high ranking position, instructions were readily filtered to them, to him. He did not have, he did not have to seek the Lord. He had an overseer. He had a leader. He had someone that would direct him and what they wanted done. And he followed through and he followed through and he did no less. And he did no less when he was on his own, now running from what was authority to protect him that was now trying to kill him. He was expected to do no less. And he did just that. He depended on God to save his life. And the Lord answered him and the Lord answered him and the Lord told him, go ahead, attack the Philistines and save Keilah and again. And again, on the same topic, because of those who were with him, he had to inquire of the Lord again, because David's men were a tad bit fearful. They said here in Judah, well, they ain't tad bit, they were fearful. Here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more than if we go into Keilah against the Philistine forces? Verse four says, once again, once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him. And he said, go down to Keilah for I am going to give the Philistines 
into your hand. So he had to inquire of God as to whether or not he should go. When he told the men, the men were fearful where they stood. They were fearful where they stood. So they was like, if we're, we're fearful right here. Why should we go there? So he had to inquire of the Lord again on behalf of his men. And then again, on in verse 10, David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard. I heard that definitely on top of all that, Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on the account of me. Will the citizens of this town, will they surrender me to him? Is that what they're going to do? And guess what God said? God said to him, yes, they will. He said, that, yes, they will. Verse 11 says, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant and ask the Lord. And, and, and the Lord said to him, he will. He will. He inquired of God. He said, tell me, is this what's going to happen? Is this true? Remember now, David, he asked God, tell me, tell me. And God answered him. He said, yes, they're, they're definitely going to do that. They're going to come down. They're going to destroy all of them unless they surrender you to Saul. And verse 12 says, and David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. They will. So verse 13 tells us, so David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. Did the Lord tell David, did the Lord tell David, did the Lord tell David that you need to keep moving? David made a decision if based on what the Lord said. He said, if they're going to go, if they're going to turn me over, and if they're going to turn my men over to Saul, then we must move. He didn't turn back to God again and say, okay, stay with me now. I'm going somewhere. He didn't turn back to God and say, listen, um, so then should we move? And if we should move, then where should we move? See, what I'm pointing out to you here is that it was okay for David to make that decision based on what God had answered him. It was okay for him to make that decision based on God's response. He made a decision to leave that land and keep moving from place to place. And when Saul was told that David had escaped, he didn't even go there. So he saved those people. Sidebar here, did God tell David to leave? No, he did not, but he didn't tell him to stay and he didn't tell him to get captured and he didn't tell him to get killed either. See, David was able to understand. He asked God a specific question. He didn't ask God if he should stay and get captured. He didn't ask God, if I stay and get captured, are you going to deliver me? He asked God a question. God gave him a answer. And from that, he made a decision. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you that sometimes you can ask God for a, a specific question and God will give you a specific answer. And when you receive that specific answer, you are now able to make a choice. You are now able to make an intelligent choice. Do I stay here and get killed or should I just walk away? And like David, move from place to place till I find my place of safety. See, too many times we are sitting still in the place that we know is not safe. We know that we are going to be captured and we know that we are going to be killed. And we know that we are going to be or we know we're going to be handed over to the enemy in that place. But we stay there. We've asked God specifically, am I going to get, am, are they going to hand me over to the enemy, to my enemy? God says, yes, you sit right there. And then when you're, cap, not, not you sit right there, I'm saying God says, yes, and you decide, you sit right there rather than run for your life. And then when the enemy is upon you and you're now a prisoner, you're looking at God saying, rescue me, please. And God is looking at you like, I gave you choice. 
Why did you sit there and allow the enemy to capture you? And now he's about to kill you and you want me to run it and rescue you when I showed you the door of escape, when I gave you my answer, when I told you that you will indeed be handed over to the enemy. That was your door of escape. You could have ran for your life. See, what, what God is saying today is no more excuses. No more excuses. You're allowed to make a decision. Do you want to stay where you're at and die there? A prisoner of your enemy? Or do you want to run towards life? It's up to you. You know where you know what direction life is in and you still choose to stay. Listen, we had a whole year where you could have literally ran for your life. You did not have to stay where you were and die there and remain cap in captivity there. You could have ran for your life. And what God is saying right now, okay, so you missed that open door. I'm pointing you to another one. You don't have to stay there and get captured or be in captivity by the enemy. You can run for your life. You can run for your life. See, sometimes we don't always move quick enough because guess what? It's not always easy to execute your own choice. See, David asked God a specific question and he got a specific answer. And then he made a decision, not knowing, not knowing what was going to be on the other side of that decision. He made a decision to trust God and run for his life. How many of us today are willing to make the decision towards life and then trust God with that very thing. We must put ourselves in a position of, of trusting God. And sometimes it is not going to be easy to execute on that decision when you don't know what's on the other side. Sometimes we're waiting, we're sitting and we're waiting for God to give us step-by-step -step instruction. And sometimes he will, and sometimes he won't. And sometimes he's waiting on you to simply make a decision that tells him that you trust him, that you trust him. We're not willing to do that today. We're not. We want step-by-step -step instructions, not understanding that he will not force our choice. He will give us just enough information to make a decision. And I'm not referring you to the things that we've decided to do. And then we put God's name on it afterwards and then got mad because it failed. I'm not referring to things like that. I'm talking about life and death decisions that you can either stay where you're at and remain cat a captive of the enemy, or you can choose to run for your life. It is your choice whether or not you move as an actual movement on what God has showed you, or you can stand there paralyzed because of the unknown. These are your choices. See, we can't afford, literally, literally, it just costs too much. We can't afford, we can't afford to, 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 to hold, to allow our fear to hold us hostage any longer. We can't do it anymore. Literally, because I said the cost is too high. That being the life of another. There's another life waiting on your escape. David had men following him. He had to make a decision. All of them would have been captive. All of them would have been captive. They would have been held hostage to Saul and likely killed. He had to make a decision. You have to make a decision based on the life of another. There is another life that is waiting on your escape. They're waiting on your escape. See, we know where we are. It's killing us and, and or it's preparing us to be killed. But we stay right there and we act ignorant until the last possible second. And then we go charging out the door, wondering, wondering, and you know, and then the, the worst part is we charge out the door and then we hold on to this bitterness and anger for years and years and years and years against the, the whatever it was that caused us to run for the last minute for our lives. But we never even pause to thank God that we got out with our life. 
We're too busy being bitter to thank God for our life. To thank God that he kept us while we were running, even though we were running with the enemy on our heel. See, there's a decision. There's a decision to be made. Moving on again, when David was about to overtake, be overtaken, he inquired of the Lord in 1 Samuel 30 and 8, where it says, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? And the Lord told him, pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Remember when they had come and they had took took every took the, the women, the children, all the stuff, and he had to go back and get his wives and get, get the wives of his of his soldiers and get all their things and bring it back. And he asked God, Shall am I going to be able to overtake them? He said, You're definitely going to be able to overtake them. Again, when David was about to, um, let me see, let me go down a little bit. What I'm showing you here, what I'm showing you here is a pattern of inquiry of the Lord with David when he goes to war. This is David when he's in the battlefield, whether he was fighting as one of the leading folks in Saul's army or whether he was fighting for his own life as he ran from Saul. I'm showing you his pattern of inquiry to the Lord. This is the same God that we read in that first verse that gave him rest, that had silenced his enemy. Remember, David means beloved. And see, David in Psalms 1, this is what he says. He says, praise be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. See how he references God there in his context? He's a context. He's a king, yes, but he's a warrior. He is a man of war. Do you see there how he references parts of the body and he likens them to battle dress or to battle themselves? He trains my hands for war. Um, he, my fingers for battle, my shield that I use for refuge. He, he, he puts the people, he subdues the people under my feet. David is clear on who he is. He is clear on who he is. And it shows so much in his language. It shows in his praise in his writing of praise to the Lord God. It shows in his writing of worship to the Lord God. This is his context. War is his context. This is who he is. And so wonder, this is why when I read that first verse, this is why when I read that first verse, I immediately looked at the scripture uh, and I was like, God, um, what is, what is, what, what is David's like issue here when I saw that um, he was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies round about him. I'm like, can a man that is a man of war rest? Does he know how to rest or is he actually restless? Why? Why? We're talking about a man who was fighting since he was a boy. Since he was a boy, does he really understand what rest looks like in his kingship? Does he actually know what it looks like? Stay with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere. Let's go back to 2 Samuel and that seventh chapter. And let's look at the seventh verse. Where it's, I mean, the second verse in the seventh chapter in 2 Samuel where it says he and we're talking about David. And remember, David name, his name means beloved. He said to Nathan, the prophet. Here I am, I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And see, we find out later that this is a really good thought. It's a great idea. It's a great idea, but it's not God's idea. It's not God's plan for David. How many of us have had those? How many of us have had these really great ideas, these great plans? And we find out later that it wasn't God's plan for us. It was actually our plan for us. Verse three says, Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. How about that? Nathan agreed quickly. And we find out later, a little too quickly, 
This tells us that there will be people around us that will agree quickly with whatever plan that we come up with. They will agree quickly with whatever we choose to do because it's for the Lord, right? So it has to be right because it's for the Lord. See, godly people, however, quick consensus, it doesn't make a thing a part of God's plan. Quick consensus does not make it a part of God's plan. For David, building anything for God was not in God's plan for him. The question then becomes, what are you building that is not in God's plans for you? What are we trying to build that is not in God's plans for us? What are we doing that we think that God wants us to do? See, every time I kept going back to this verse and I'm like, okay, 2 Samuel 7, the God had given David rest. Then I look down and I see that David all of a sudden in his place of rest decides that he's going to build. So I'm like, was he actually in a place of rest when he made this decision to build or was he in a place of restless? Was that where he was in a, in a state where he just was like, what to do, what to do, what to do? Because this is a man that had been around, had been a warrior from a child. Verse five. And this is where we're about to find out. Verse four. I'm sorry. But the night, but that night, but that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, verse five, go and tell my servant, David, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? So the question comes back to God, back from God to David as a type. It, it kind of struck me as funny. It's like an oxymoron because it's usually David. I just showed you. It's usually David who's asking God the questions. Remember, this is the David, the warrior. This is David who had the high ranking position in Saul's army. He knew how to take instruction. This is the David that once he became the enemy of Saul, he switched strategies and he immediately began to inquire of God and every move that he made, he got enough information to make a decision. However, and this particular decision, when it came time to build a house for God, when he came up with this idea, we don't see where he inquired of the, I'm looking in the scriptures, I don't see where he inquired of the Lord, should I build you a house? I mean, after all, after all, I'm living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. But he says it to Nathan and Nathan agrees quickly. He agrees. So God has to step in and says, okay, uh, since you're not asking me questions, perhaps I'll ask you some. Um, are you the one to uh, to build a house um, for for me to dwell in? Is are you, are you? Since you're not asking me questions, I'll ask you. See, we come to understand it's not a bad idea to have a house built. That, that's not the point. The point is, but when David comes up with this idea, we're talking about a man with hands of war. And now things are calm and things are quiet. And I can't help but think that David might be a tad bit bored. David might be feeling a tad bit useless. David might be feeling that he might be, that he's, that his time has passed. He might not be sure what he should be doing right now. So he decides, hey, I'm looking out the window. I see the ark of God is in a tent. I'll build a house. I'll build a house. There are currently no battles to fight. So there's no victories to be won. So David decides, in a sense, to repurpose his hands, his skilled hands of war. Remember, we were talking about those skilled hands er earlier. We were talking about David knowing who he was. He said it was God who trained his hands for war. He didn't say that God trained his hands to build him a house. He said God trained his hands for war. God even trained his fingers for a battle. 
God even gave him a shield and showed him how to wrap those fingers around that shield because that would be his refuge. That would be his, that would be his covering. That would be his protection. But now David has decided, I'm going to repurpose these hands. I'm going to repurpose them. These hands that were skilled for war, I'm going to repurpose them. So he's looking around his home and where he's rested and he thinks the ark of God is in a tent. I'll build a house for it. Bad idea, bad idea. No, not a bad idea, just not for him. Does it sound familiar to anyone under the sound of my voice? Does it does it even look familiar? It's been an entire year. Limited activities in our house and our houses of God and the doors reopen and the churches spring back into action with events and activities that are not all God sanctioned, not all for you. Not for you. The warning here is to be careful of what you decide to do, where you decide to go, what you decide to build in God, because all building is not a part of God's plans for you, just you. I'm talking to just you. It may not, it might be the plan for your best friend, but it's not the plan for you. It might be the plan for your son or daughter, but it's not the plan for you. It might be the plan for your spouse. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere, but it's not for you. It's not for you. You listen, and you don't get to dictate to others what God has put in their heart, just like you don't allow them to dictate what God has put in your heart. Just as right now, I'm speaking specifically to you. God will speak specifically to them and he will deal with them. It is not always wrong what is being built. It's just not in God's plan for you to build it. It's not in God's plan for you to come with your brick and your martyr and decide to help build. Maybe that's not for you. Just because you see folk doing it on social media, just because you see them doing it around the corner from where you live, it does not make it for you. Might it be a thing of God? It may very well be, but it's not for you. It's not for you. David's idea to build, it was not wrong. It just wasn't for him to build. It just wasn't for him to build. Remember, we're talking about God's, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about David right here. And we're talking about David's name, which means beloved, beloved, beloved. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about the title here, beloved assumptions, beloved assumptions. It doesn't make it, he, David assumed David assumed that it was a thing for him to do, but it was actually for him, the next generation to do. Everything is not going to be for you to do. How about you might be just getting the supplies together? for the generation after you to build. Trust me, I know all might appear lost, but God has a remnant. All is not lost. You, man, woman of God, are not the only prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, or evangelist that's left on the earth. There is another that he is raising up in the next generation. I know they don't look like it right now, I know it might not seem like it right now. I know they don't talk like it right now, but God still has. He still has a, a ram in the bush that can be sacrificed. He still has it. So what God does, and I'm back to my text, what God does is he begins to give David insight into his plan. See, David didn't ask. David, who previously asked, David, who previously inquired of the Lord, did not inquire in this go round. So God had to give him insight. God had to. And what I'm speaking right now, I decree and declare that God is going to begin to give some of you insight into what he has planned for you. 
See, because we're making too many assumptions. We see them over there to the left building a house of God. We see them over there to the right building an event center for God. We see them over there building an altar for God. And we want to jump in and surely we, we got to do something. We got to be busy. We got to be busy. We got to be busy. Maybe your job like David is just simply to gather the supplies for the next generation. Or maybe God does have something for you to build. But then you ask God. What do you have for me to build? And he will do as he did David. He will give you insight into his plan. Verse six, it says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. So God has to give him a little, a little history. Like give him a little history. See, you you think you're bored and you think to go build me a house that I didn't ask you to build. But let me tell you something, sir, ma'am. I've been living, I've been living in a tent and moving from place to place before you got here, sir, ma'am. That's what I've been doing, God is saying. Verse 7 says, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to their rulers who I commanded, to my shepherd, my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Did I ever say that? Did I request that of them? Because if I didn't request it of them, God is saying, I truly don't believe I requested it of you. But you didn't even ask me. But you didn't even ask me. So he tells, so he tells, he tells Nathan, now tell, now then, in verse eight, tell my servant David, since he didn't ask me, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He said, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Do you hear me, leaders? God said, I took you. I took you from walking the dogs, from walking the neighbor's dogs. I took you, I bought you off the McDonald's job. I'm the one that bought you out of corporate America from tending, from, from taking care and managing the people and from managing, managing the businesses. I'm the one that took you out and I appointed you ruler over my people. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He said in verse nine, I have been with you. You weren't with me. I have been with you wherever you went. You were never with me. I was with you. We're forgetting who's in charge. We're forgetting that God run this. God got this. We're forgetting all of that. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. I did that, God said. You didn't do it. I did that, God said. So wherever you stand today, just remember, God did that. God did that. You didn't do that. God did that. And so you don't want to inquire of him now. We just going to randomly go building stuff, putting up stuff, doing stuff, running all over the place, stuff, 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 stuff. And none of it God wants. None of it God wants. Did we even ask God if he wants that? And did we even ask God if he wants it from us? Huh? God is telling you, listen, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. I appointed you ruler over my people. I was with you wherever you went. I cut off all your enemies. It's me that makes your name great. Like the names of the greatest men on the earth. God said, I did that. And guess what he said? And I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. So he said, I'm not asking anything of you right now. I'm not asking anything of you right now. And I have done this ever since I appointed leaders over my people in Israel. I will also, I will also give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. So he's saying, I'm God. I do the establishing. I do the building. And if I didn't instruct you to build that, then that means I don't want that from you. God is saying to David, I decide the where, the when, and the whom to rest to where, rest, to whom rest is given. And I, he said, I establish the house. That's what I do. God decides what will be built, who will be built, and who will build it. And in this case, 
his house, his kingdom and the earth. He's saying, I'll make those decisions. Verse 12, it says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. His kingdom, he's telling David. He said, I already had a plan for that. And you about to jump ahead of my plan and give me something when I don't want it, from whom I don't want it from. Right? Right? And verse 13, it says, he is the one that will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. See, I'm raising up another generation to do that. I don't want you to do that. He says, when he does wrong, I'll punish him with the rod, wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. So what is he saying? Don't worry about that next generation that I'm raising up. I got them. I'm going to raise them up and I'm going to discipline them. I got them. I got them. I'm going to raise them up to build and I and I will discipline them too. And he says, um, verse 15, but my love will never be taken away from them. I'm not going to take my love away from the next generation, just like I didn't take it away from you. Just like I didn't take it away from you. Right. I didn't take it away from you as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Verse 16, your houses and your kingdom will endure forever before me. See, your throne will be established forever. Excuse me, David is trying to build for a house of God for right now because that's what he wants to do. And God is trying to establish his name in the earth forever, forever, forever. We know who David is today. It's been done. He's trying to establish him forever. And David's trying to do something right now. You about to jump ahead of God and start building stuff that God didn't ask for out of season, out of time, when God's trying to establish your legacy in the earth and you're trying to re you're trying to build. He didn't ask you for that. How about we ask God what he wants from us and then we wait on him to answer to answer and let's not get impatient in the way. See, David is not being punished for the idea of building a house for the covenant or for God to dwell in. In fact, David is being established in God for generations to come. While we're running around trying to build and rebuild, God is saying, if you pause for just a minute, pause for a minute and ask me my plans, you find out I might not be asking you to build, I, but I am asking that you that I be permitted to establish you. See, we got the wrong question. I didn't ask you to build. I didn't ask you to rebuild. I didn't ask you to run out there and open your doors. I didn't ask you to go out there and establish all these events. I didn't ask you to do any of that. I'm trying to establish you. I'm trying to establish you. But he says, I can't trespass your choice. You have to invite me in. You have to invite my will into your life. See, Paul says it like this in Galatians 5 and 5. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. See, when we make decisions to do things, to build things that God, that Christ himself has not commissioned us to do, we put our own selves under the law of the flesh. Why? Because our flesh is what's dictating to us to do what is outside of the will of God. It's either God or it is not. And if it's not, then we need to check what it is. And since it's our flesh that's working, that's so busy, that must do so much. Then surely, and now we're in a work of the flesh. Verse two says in um, Galatians five, mark my words, I, Paul tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So if you're gonna allow the flesh to dictate to you what you build, what you do, if you're gonna allow it to instruct you, then you're under the entire law. You just left faith, ma'am, sir. You just left faith. Now you are under the law of the flesh. Now you have a whole different law that you bought into action in your life. Once you submit yourself to laws of the flesh, you are now submissive to all the laws of the flesh, which now separates you. It separates you from Christ and his grace. 
Verse four says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you're alienated by Christ. You have alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Verse five says, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. Verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what you do, what you speak, what you build, it has it any value in the kingdom of God. You must make sure, but you won't know unless you ask him. Verse seven says, you were running a good race. Who cut on you to keep you from obeying the truth? See, you leave truth. Verse eight says, the kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Enter into the enemy's territory. This is where you go when you allow the flesh, when you allow the flesh to dictate to you what you do in God, in God. You know, verse nine says a little yeast, it works through the whole batch of dough. So one ungodly idea has infiltrated your entire being. Now, everything you do, that is ungodly, that is in the flesh. Now it is now you must follow the full law. You, my brothers and sisters, verse 13 says, were called to be free. Verse 13 says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Do not use your freedom. Do not use your freedom. In other words, don't do things outside of the will of God, just because you can. Don't give God something that God doesn't want just because you can. Could David have built a house? David could, David could have ordered all the supplies and got the workers in there and started them to build it. He could have went full on in the flesh, but he allowed God. He allowed God through Nathan to redirect him and remind him of who is actually in charge and who, whose uh, who's, uh, authority he is under. Now go back to Samuel, um, 2 Samuel and 7, where it says in verse 17, Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? See, there was a remedy, repentance with a humble spirit. David turned back and he began to recognize again who God is. And he began to understand he's trying to establish me and in my breast, he's trying to establish me. But it is I who am trying to do something that God did not ask for in the flesh. And David says, and as if this were not enough in your spirit, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. He recognizes it. And to this degree, servant Lord is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, 21, for the sake of your word and a According to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known unto your servant how great you are, sovereign Lord. There's none like you, David says, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went down to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations of their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You established, see David is recognizing, you have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you Lord have become their God and now Lord God Keep forever your promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise so that your name, so that your name, he's telling God, so that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be 
established in your sight. David recognizes that his house is about to be established in God's sight, in God's sight. So he said that I found courage in verse 27 to pray this prayer for you because your covenant, he says in verse 28, is trustworthy. You promise good things to me. And then he says, I thank you for blessing the house of your servant that it may continue on forever. See, David's eyes was open through this experience and he began to, to remember that it was Christ trying to establish him. He began to notice God is trying to establish me and here I am about to do something out of the will of God when he's trying to establish me in the earth, my name in the earth forever. So David began to accept it. He began to accept the establishment and he began to go back to his place of true rest, true rest in God, true rest in God. First John 3, 1 and 2 in the English Standard Version, it says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall be seen as he is seen. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So what am I saying to you? Beloved assumptions is what we're talking about tonight. And what I am encouraging you to do is before you go and do much of what you've already done, or before you go to rebuild or before you go to build or before you go to make or before you go to create, can we inquire of God? Can we inquire of God as to what he would have us to do? See, because I see here from this text that there was there was work for David. There was there. David had his work to do and gathering what was going to be needed to build the house that God needed. But it was not his job to actually build it. It was not his job. So what exactly is God required? Can we can we stay for God to finish the entire paragraph and stop running off before he even finishes the sentence and allow God to fully share his plan for our lives with us? Can we give God the opportunity how about that? Can we give him the opportunity to share with us what he has planned for our lives? See, we're running off too fast and we're doing too much, too fast, too much, too fast. And then when the time comes that we're sick or we're ill or we or we gotten ahead of ourselves and, and our, our plans, our plans, our plans fail and the people around us are angry and frustrated. How about we pause? Just pause for one moment and ask God, what is your will for me? What, what, you, what would you have me to do? Let's not be the beloved of God that makes assumptions that based on what we see around us, based on our boredom, our restlessness, the fact that we might feel useless in a moment. Let's not make us, let's not let our flesh drive us to do something that God has not required at our hands. How about we give God a chance to tell us what it is he wants from us, what it is he expects of us, what it is he'd like us to offer him as that sacrifice instead of giving him what we want him to have or what we think he wants or what we think he needs. How about that? How about that? Can we give God an opportunity to speak his will and his purposes in our lives. Can we sit before him long enough in prayer and not be talking so much and just sit and wait for him to instruct us and to guide us? Can we listen to the still small spirit, the still small guiding spirit of the, uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit? Can we sit and listen? Because the Holy Spirit has instructions for you. But he can't give them to you because you wouldn't know what to do with them because you have yet to hear the plan of God for your life. 
We won't allow God to share with us, which has already been planned for us, which has already been measured to us as our success. Instead, we'd rather just fail after fail after fail after fail in the flesh rather than succeed in the, and succeed and succeed in the spirit. I'm not telling you that what God has for you is going to be easy. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to say it's not going to take a measure of faith, faith over fear at that. But what I am telling you is that it's already victory. It's already victorious. It's already successful. You just have to adhere to it. You just have to let God tell it to you and allow the Holy Spirit to instruct you. Can I tell you that anything that God tells me that he has for me, the Holy Spirit gives me a plan for it, how I'm to carry it out, what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it. But I have to sit patiently and wait on the plans of God. He will unfold it for us if we ask him to. If we ask him to. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus. I thank you today for everyone under the sound of my voice. And we repent today, God, for running ahead of you. And we thank you today that you're a merciful and a glorious and a God full of grace. We thank you, O oh God, for the grace that you have given us to learn to learn, God, to learn from running off without you. And we thank you, oh God, that you, God, have healed us from every form of rejection that would cause us to be like, to want to be like our neighbors, to want to do the things they do. But we thank you, God, that we celebrate our uniqueness and we celebrate the uniqueness of you in us. For we know that in each of us that you have placed a gift that is to serve the body of Christ, that you've placed the plan. And we ask you today, God, we ask you today to speak. I, I decree and declare that God will, that you will speak to your people the plan that you have for their lives and that the Holy Spirit will begin to orientate instructions to the men and women of God so they can carry out the plan that you have for them, God, in the name of Jesus. I decree and declare that their ears are blood covered, that they will only hear. They will only hear your plans, oh God, the plans that you have for them, that they will no longer hear the plans of the enemy, that they will never, no longer walk in the flesh, that they will no longer walk in fleshly thoughts and fleshly ways and fleshly ideas. God, I thank you. I thank you that you, God, that you, God, that you, God, have promised to deposit more of yourself, more of your thoughts, more of your ways, more of your house into the mind of your people so that we can begin to comprehend what is the, the perfect will of God for our lives. And we thank you today, oh God. That you not only that you're not only imparting your plan to us, but you're you're imparting provision for the manifestation of that plan in our lives and for the lives of others. We thank you, oh God, and we give you glory and we give you honor. We give you honor because you're a great God. You're a marvelous God. You're a wonderful God. We give you praise. We thank you for your patience with us. You're an enduring God. You've endured with us, God, through our ups and our downs and our highs and our lows, our running and our standing still. We thank you. We thank you, oh God. We thank you, oh God. We thank you, oh God. And we open up the portals of heaven and we take direct connection. Our ear gates, our ear, God, to your mouth. Our ear to your mouth, oh God, that we would hear your plans, God. Our ear to your mouth. God, that we would hear your plans. Our mind to your mind, that we would comprehend and understand what the Holy Spirit instructs unto us. Our hands to your hands, that we will build it in intricate details as you have, as you speak it to us, God, in the name of Jesus. Our eyes to your eyes, that we would only see what you have for us to see. We're no longer looking to the left or the right, but our eyes are fixed like a flint on the promises that you shared for our lives, God. We're no longer looking at where our neighbors are building. We're no longer being, being, being thrust to and fro by rejection, but we are standing still in confidence in the place where you have placed or I shape us, God. And we thank you. 
We thank you for considering us. We thank you for establishing us. Establish your men and women of God today, God. In the name of Jesus, establish their minds. Establish their hearts. Establish their thoughts. Establish their thoughts, God. Establish them. Establish their will and their purpose. The will of the Lord God be done in your life. The kingdom of God be manifested in and through you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord God. We shut down the voice of the enemy. We seal your mouth. And we shut down your works in the earth realm. The will of the Lord be done. Your kingdom come, God. And your will be done. Your kingdom come, God. And your will be done. Your kingdom come, God. We make way for your kingdom in the earth realm. And your will to be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. We thank you. 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 God, look down on our leaders today, God, in the name of the Lord. God, cover their ear gates, oh God. Cause them only to hear your words, your instruction. Cause them only to build what pleases you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, God, raise up the true the true prophets and the true prophetess. In the name of Jesus, that would speak your word in the earth realm, oh God, that would direct your people in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, that would instruct your people, raise up the teachers that would instruct your people in your ways, in your life, in your ways, in your ways, in your requirements, in the name of Jesus, raise up the evangelist God that would go and rescue your people from the hand of the enemy, from the pit of the enemy, in the name of Jesus, raise up your pastors God, your true pastors that would point the men and women back to you God, raise them up, 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 raise them up in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord God. The will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done in your life. The will of the Lord be done in your life. If you're under the sound of my voice, the will of the Lord be done. I speak the will of the Lord to be done in your life. I speak the will of the Lord to be manifested. In your life, in your hands, through your mouth. The will of the Lord be done. I thank you, O oh God. 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 I thank you so much for joining me on this evening. Again, you're listening to the Manifesting God podcast. And I am Maria Elizabeth. I thank you for joining me. Joining me every Monday at 7 p.m. And I look forward to seeing you then. I'm praying for you. If you're under the sound of my voice, you better know I am praying. I am praying for you.